Our passage this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Thanks, Isaiah. Good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace, and we're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. If you are new here, or even if you just feel new, we would love to, first of all, meet you this morning. So please, after the service, come up and talk to myself, or uh, Josh will give some announcements here at the end, or stop by the info table or find someone in a green lanyard, and we would love to meet you. We would also love to help you get connected, which you can do by talking to one of us, or filling out the card in the seat back in front of you, or filling out that same card on online as well. It's good to be with you this morning and opening up God's word as Isaiah just read for us. We are continuing through our series in the book of Philippians and we are in chapter four today where we are learning about where we can find our true identity. Today we will read the verse in Philippians four that says, do not be anxious about anything. If you're like me, when you read this section of this verse, do not be anxious about anything. You instantly are anxious about everything. So as we read this this morning, we need some help. And before we dive into what God's word has to say about anxiety, and before we can know what Paul is talking about here, we first need to answer some questions. First, we need to answer the question, are we anxious? If we are not anxious, if this is not a problem for us, then Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and we can just skip over this section and go on to the next thing. If we are anxious, why are we so anxious? And lastly, we will try to answer, what do we do about our anxiety? God's word has answers for us this morning, and I would invite you to join with me in prayer to that end. Father, we thank you that you've spoken. Uh, Thank you that you've given us your word and your spirit and your people. God, we know that we need to hear from you this morning. God, I pray that you would speak into our minds and our hearts. I pray that you would speak into our anxieties. I pray that you would speak to each one that is here this morning. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to believe what you say. Give us hands and feet ready to obey you. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. Father, you know that I have been preparing this sermon in my mind for many years. But God, we need to hear from you, not any man. So God, thank you for speaking, and we say we are listening to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll never forget the afternoon that I left my office, which at the time was here in this building. I left my office to quote-unquote run an errand. The fact of the matter is I felt a panic attack coming on. Shortness of breath, heart racing, racing thoughts, So I left the building to get some air, to take a breath, and to buy some chocolate. Why not? Can't hurt, right? So I left here, went to the store, grabbed my chocolate, ate the chocolate, 
caught a breath, listened to some music, was headed back here to the church. And as I was, my phone rang and I didn't recognize the number. Now, when that happens, I usually don't answer because it's usually someone warning me about my car warranty. But for whatever reason, I answered my phone that morning. And I'll never forget what I heard after I said hello on the other line. On the other end of the line, I heard silence and then heavy breathing. And then finally, this gentleman caught his breath and said, I'm having a panic attack. Can you help? A friend had recommended that this young man reach out to me because he was struggling, obviously, with anxiety, and he was reaching out to me for help. My answer that day for him was, I can't help you, but I know someone who can. And that's the same answer that I have for us today. God's word has something to say about our anxieties. Before we talk about what God's word has to say, though, we have to answer this question, are we anxious? The answer for me is yes. Far too often I am anxious. But as a society, are we anxious? Anxiety has been considered an epidemic in our society since the year 2012. The last 10 years, it has been considered an epidemic. In February of 2020, one month before the pandemic started, the longest study of adolescence and the effects of chronic anxiety was published and released. In the year 2020, in February, this study showed that chronic anxiety took a toll on adolescents and their performance in school, their physical health, and a large contributing factor was the use of social media and technology that fed that anxiety. These two studies came out right before the pandemic started. And as you know, the pandemic didn't do anything to help anxiety. In fact, it fed anxiety or gave new anxieties, whether it was physical health, stressors that came along with it, the loss of jobs, recession, trying to school the kids at home at at a moment's notice, whether it was being a teacher in the public schools, whether it was the politics of the situation, no matter where we were on that spectrum, it provided new anxieties. In the year 2009, a historian came out with a study and a book that he entitled The Age of Anxiety. And his speculation that as future generations look back on us, we will be known as the anxious age. Anxiety is rampant in our culture, and it's an equal opportunity offender. It affects the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, whether it is young people comparing themselves to other young people all over the world through social media, whether it is those in academia struggling with imposter syndrome while also wondering how they will pay back a mountain of student loans, whether it is those that live in our rural community that are wrestling with, will my way of life be obsolete someday? Or will these crops that I'm putting in the ground even be worth putting in the ground? Anxiety is an equal opportunity offender. And whether you are like me and you are tempted to be anxious about everything, or if your anxiety is tied to circumstances, you are either currently anxious, have been anxious, or will be anxious in the future. There are really just three groups of people in the world. One is anxious people, those that either struggle with lifelong chronic anxiety or those that struggle with anxiety based on their circumstances when they go through difficult times. Or there are those that are so distracted that they have distracted themselves and numbed themselves from experiencing the anxiety that they're scared of 
Third, there are those who are trusting the Lord through their anxiety. So we've answered the question, are we anxious? The answer to that question is yes. So why are we so anxious? Why are we so anxious? There's many, many reasons. I'll name three. The first one is we are more connected than ever through technology, yet we feel more disconnected than ever. We are more connected than ever, yet we feel disconnected. In the year 1900, you would meet between 100 and 150 people in your entire life. You would meet 100 to 150 people in your entire life. You would also live within 20 miles of where you were born. Psychologists say that the human brain is able to remember, recognize, and know one detail about 150 people and no more. How many of you have more than 100 friends on any social media platform? Higher. Raise them up. How many of you have more than 100 contacts in your phone or email contacts? Raise your hand up high. How many of you now live more than 20 miles from where you were born? <laughs> Welcome to Iowa City, right? <laughs> we are in an ever-changing world where we are more connected to more people, but less meaningfully connected to less people than ever before. We are hyper-connected yet lonely. Social media is not the only contributing factor to this, but it is a huge factor. It makes us feel connected to others when we really don't know them. There has not been one study released saying that social media is good for our mental health. And there is a mountain of growing evidence now in a longitudinal format because of the number of years that existed that is telling us that social media is feeding our anxiety. In the meantime, you have social media empires like Facebook changing their name to Meta, which literally means more. More of you. They want to build your world to be more and more connected. And it's doing nothing but feeding anxiety. See, here's the social media anxiety cycle. I'm going to describe it, but you're going to connect with it right away. See, you have an anxiety about something going on. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a small thing. You have an anxious thought. That's normal. We all have anxious thoughts. If we don't ever have an anxious thought, maybe we're not paying attention because there's plenty to be anxious about. But we're scared of that anxious thought. We don't want to experience that anxiety, so we distract ourselves, and we have an easy distraction. So we pull out the phone, we pull out the computer, and we get connected, we numb ourselves, we distract ourselves from what's going on. We spend way too much time doing those things, playing those games, connecting with those people, returning those emails, returning those texts, looking at the latest news, and we distract ourselves so we don't have to deal with that anxious thought. And then when we return to that anxious thought, the situation is worse because we haven't been paying attention to the things we're supposed to be paying attention to. This is the cycle that we are in. So why are we anxious? First, we're connected yet feeling disconnected. Second, the comparison game. The comparison game. We are comparing ourselves to other people's lives. Comparison is nothing new. Cain compared himself to Abel and look where that got him. Comparison is nothing new, but now we have opportunity. 
Now we have more opportunities to experience the fear of missing out or the fear of a better opportunity presenting itself. And so we're paralyzed with fear because we no longer are comparing ourselves to our family and our neighbors, but people all over the world. When my 15th anniversary came, there wasn't a discussion between me and my wife of where we wanted to go or what we wanted to do. It was, let's do this because they did it. Well, we have to do something better than them because we saw what everybody was doing because a lot of our friends hit their 15th wedding anniversary right around the same time that we did. We are constantly comparing ourselves to others. The third example of why we are anxious is the effect of time. Anytime there is chronic anxiety, there is an aspect of time, not enough time, obsessive thoughts about the past, the present, or the future. We are hyper aware of our limitations. We are hyper aware of our limited amount of time. And so we have anxiety because of the past, because of the hurt we have experienced, because of our sin and sin done against us, because of the suffering we have endured, because of the family we were raised in, because of economic scarcity or emotional scarcity in our homes. We have anxiety because of the past. We have anxiety for the present. Today has enough trouble of its own. There's so many things we could be anxious about just from today and today's events. And we have anxiety about the future. An anxiety that turns into worry as we worry about where our world is headed, where our country is headed, where our family is headed, where our life is headed. How are we going to pay back the student loans? How are we going to accomplish all the things we need to do? Are we in a dead-end jobs? Will, will my kids turn out all right? Will I find that spouse? There's a million anxieties about the future. So these are just a few examples of how so many things are stacked against us and can cause us to be anxious. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Because we open the scripture today and we read, do not be anxious about anything. How? How? How do we not be anxious about anything? Here's what we need this morning from God's word. We need someone to trust and we need something to do. We need someone to trust, and we need something to do. And praise God, his word gives us that this morning. Open up your Bibles, if you have not already, to Philippians 4. We'll start in verse 4 and verse 5. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here again, Paul summarizes the words and the teaching of Jesus. And in fact, the words and the teachings of Jesus, when he sums up the law and the prophets, he says, love God and love others. Worship God, love others. So first, worship God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He is talking about our state of being. And remember, we've learned in Philippians that the word rejoice means a state of being which is joyful. Joyful. A joyfulness that is not based on the circumstances. Look, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. A joy that does not come from our circumstances. A joy that is not happiness or pleasure or experiences. It is a state of being that is joyful because of who God is. This is a way to worship God. And here, Paul not only says always, he repeats it. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Why does he repeat the phrase and say, again, I will say rejoice? Because he anticipates our objection. 
whenever I hear about joy or whenever I am convicted that I am not experiencing joy, or even as I start to have a joyful thought, the next thought is, yeah, but. Yeah, but I can't have joy very long because this thing's coming. This next thing's coming. And whether that next thing is when you leave here, whether it's just getting the kids in the car after church, or if it's a big thing down the road, we say, yeah, but. Here, Paul anticipates that, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, no matter your circumstances. So first, worship God. Second, love one another. This word reasonableness, it means leniency. As in a court of law, when someone is guilty and the judge says not guilty. Here, he is saying, treat one another with mercy with leniency, with grace, with a posture of understanding towards others. So here Paul is starting this section by saying, worship God and love one another. Let's keep reading. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. We have some work to do here. We have four questions that just being good readers and just logical thinkers come up in our mind. We need to answer these questions because the, the second half of verse five and the beginning of verse six, they're connected. See that semicolon at the very beginning of verse six, not to be too grammar nerdy here, but it makes a difference that that's there. And then we see the Lord is at hand is in verse five and not in verse six. We see that do not be anxious about anything actually comes at the end of a thought and there's a comma at the end. So there's more to come. So before we answer these questions, I just want to encourage you from God's word that God's word doesn't just say, do not be anxious. That's what you think it says. In God's grace, he gives us something to do and someone to trust. So we need to answer these questions because it's complex, but it's important. So we need to answer these questions first. Why is the Lord at hand in verse five? Somewhat hidden in the book of Philippians, though it's there, it's not the main theme, I would argue, but it is a big theme in Philippians, is the soon return of the Lord. Paul is reminding the church in Philippi that someday Jesus will come again and he will sit on an earthly throne. And he is asking them the question, how will he find you? Will he find you worshiping him and loving one another? Or will he find you going after your own pursuits or in a state of chronic anxiety? He's reminding them the Lord will return. The Lord is at hand. His coming is at hand. Throughout scripture, Jesus and the other authors of scripture tell us to live our lives as if the return of Christ is imminent. He says, as you wait for him to return, worship God and love one another. Why is there a semicolon in the English translation? This is two different sentences in Greek, which doesn't clear anything up for us at first glance. Because it looks like two separate thoughts. So it, this phrase, the Lord is at hand, is a whole sentence in the Greek. Why is that? Well, there's two ways, two schools of thought. One is it's connected to the first part, worship God, love others. The second school of thought is that it connects to the second. Because the Lord is at hand, we don't need to be anxious. And I think it's clear when we look at all of scripture and when we look at Paul's writings that it's there because he wants to connect it to both. The Lord, if the Lord's return is imminent, we need to worship him and love one another, but also we can live without anxiety. 
Because here's the thing, the Lord's return could cause you anxiety for two reasons. One, if you're not sure if that's good news for you or bad news for you. If you're not sure if when Christ returns, you will be forgiven of your sins and you will get to be in his eternal kingdom, then it could cause anxiety for you that the Lord will return. If you are in Christ, if your salvation is secure in him, then you could also be anxious because you're like, I want the Lord to return, but not quite yet. I've still got some things to do. I've still got some things to accomplish. I'm not quite ready for his return. So here, the phrase, the Lord is at hand, is connected to the first part, worship God and serve one another as you await his return. And then it's saying, because he is returning, you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be anxious. So why does this help with our anxiety? It helps with our anxiety because we need the presence of the Lord for our anxiety. We need the presence of the Lord for our past, our present, and our future. We need the presence of the Lord. We need to know he was present when all the hard things have happened to us or the sins we've committed. We need to know he was there. We need to know that he's right here, right now with us. And we need to know he'll be there in the future. We are going to hit more on that later as we conclude the sermon. So what do we need to overcome our anxiety? The first thing that we need is someone to trust. And here God's word is telling us that the Lord is at hand. He is with you. And he is the one that you can trust. The yeah, but, okay, Paul, I'll rejoice and I'll have joy, but I got to overcome this thing first. That's not the right answer. The right answer should be, but God. I have these things, yeah, but I have these things I've got to accomplish, these things that are stressing me out, these anxieties. Paul, you don't understand what I'm going through. The answer to all those things is not found in you and is not found in your circumstances or your abilities. It's found in the presence of the Lord. So we need someone to trust and we can trust in Jesus. Then we need something to do. We need something to do and God's Word gives us something to do. Do not be anxious about anything, comma, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This gives us something to do. Anxiety is thinking about everything. So we need something to do in those situations. I don't have a lot of big anxieties, the number one anxiety that for many generations has been speaking in front of people, I have never been afraid to speak in front of people, which is good news for me based on my profession, right? I've never been afraid to speak in front of people. Another big fear that people have is flying. Never been afraid of flying. Traveling, I'm not afraid of traveling. I don't get anxious about big things. I get anxious about small things. Everyday things. The thing that makes me most anxious and gives me that shortness of breath and heart racing more than just about anything is losing my keys. And I could go pro at losing my keys. I am a champion at losing my keys. I am not kidding. I lose my keys every single day. And my kids know the look when I go around and I'm looking for keys. They just scatter. They're like rats leaving a ship. They're like, get out of the way. Dad's trying to find his keys. I can get anxious about anything. What's the weirdest thing you've ever been anxious about? I love trading these stories with people. What's the weirdest thing you've ever been anxious about? Because for me, 
could be anything. I've been anxious about pencils and food and water fountains. I've been anxious about cars. I've been anxious about all kinds of things. In our anxiety, we need something to do, and God's word gives us something to do. The opposite of thinking about everything is praying about everything. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, make your request known to God. By prayer, this is what God has given us to do. Instead of just thinking about the things that we're anxious about, we pray about the things we're anxious about. Anxiety is just praying to the wrong person. Anxiety is thinking about things, and our prayers never leave our heads, so we're responsible for answering them, which causes more anxiety, right? Instead of thinking about everything, pray about everything. Literally everything. For me, it is prayer or anxiety. I get to choose. And I know for some of you that's the case, because I've talked to many, many of you, that that is the case for you. If it's not the case for you now, it will be someday. Even if it's based on a circumstance that you just cannot get through, you can be anxious about it or you can pray. And we're supposed to pray in a certain kind of way. First, with supplication, that means asking. Asking God for the things that you need. The second thing is thanksgiving. Being thankful. I have learned that prayers of thanksgiving are the anecdote to my anxiety. Because instead of trying to provide for myself, in Thanksgiving, I remember who the true giver is. I remember what he's given me already. I remember what he's promised for the future. And those anxieties turn into praise and rejoicing because of all I have to be thankful for. God has given us something to do in our anxiety. And when we do this, what is the outcome? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is what we need. The opposite of anxiety is the peace of God. We need the peace of God. The only way that we can rejoice, the only way we can have peace, no, the only way we can have joy outside of our circumstances is to have God's peace. Not Jason's peace. Jason's peace just means distraction. I need God's peace. And God's peace, what does it do? It surpasses our understanding. It surpasses our, yeah, but God, I got to fix this thing first and then I'll have peace. I keep thinking that peace will come when I do all the things. When I finish all the projects, when I mark all the to-do lists, when I take care of everything and set up everything so everything is in the right order. No, the peace of God surpasses that, surpasses our understanding, goes past, overcomes our understanding. It's a peace that other people look at that peace and they say, that peace makes no sense. That peace is supernatural because I know what that person's going through. That's the peace of God. And we're told here that that peace will guard our hearts and our minds. Our hearts, what we feel, what we experience, what we worship, it will guard that and will guard our mind. We'll guard our mind in Christ Jesus. We can have the peace of God because Christ Jesus guards our heart and our mind. 
Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Philippi is a garrison city. A garrison is an outpost for the Roman Empire where it has extra walls and extra security and extra protection because it's at a strategic location and it's to keep the enemies out of the Roman Empire. Paul writes this word guard to this church for a reason. He is saying you need a garrison. You need walls around your heart and mind and it will only be found in Christ peace of Christ ruling our hearts. This is what we need. Verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. One of the biggest hurdles I've had to overcome with anxiety is that thinking if I'm not anxious, I'm being irresponsible. In fact, I used to think that people that were not anxious were just irresponsible. I thought that I needed to obsess over things and I needed to think about things and I needed to solve problems not only for myself but others or I was being irresponsible. It's an oldest child syndrome, I think. If I don't think about things and I'm being irresponsible here, God's word says that peace is not just an empty mind or not thinking about things. It's thinking about certain kinds of things. It's thinking about things that cause us to rejoice and worship and praise God and leads to a place of peace. As we were singing, I was sitting back here because if I stand the whole morning, my back hurts because I'm old. When we were singing, I sat at the back and I felt anxiety coming on. Just thinking about getting the kids lunch and then getting them off to church tonight downtown, the anxiety started to well up. And my first instinct is always to solve the problem or talk myself out of the anxiety, and it never works. The anxiety just grows. I needed to return to thanksgiving and praising God and thanking him for who he is and the ways he is provided God's word gives us something to think about. Verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul once again here says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not just in how I think about these things, but how you see me live my life. Paul is giving them an example to follow in the peace he experiences and the rejoicing that they see in his life. So in light of this, what do we need to do in order to not be anxious? Four things as we close here. First, obey these verses. Obey these verses. God's word has given us the recipe for overcoming our anxiety. We just need to do it. Instead of thinking about things, we pray about everything. We ask God for what we need. We thank him for how he's already provided, how he will provide today, how he will provide in the future. We obey these verses. And then we experience that peace that guards our hearts and our minds. We need to obey God and, and do what he's asking us to do. Once again, we have seen time and time again, study after study, that social media is making our anxiety worse. I have removed everything from my phone that is connected to social media. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I've basically turned my phone into a phone. 
I hid my email app in case I absolutely have to use it. I have a sports news app, which kind of drives me crazy sometimes too. I have nothing else that could entertain me. No games, nothing. This was feeding my anxiety. This may seem extreme, but for me it's true, and for some of you it is too. If I was an alcoholic, I would not carry alcohol in my pocket. Times in my life I have been addicted to anxiety and kept in my pocket something that fed my addiction. I'm not telling you that God's word says don't use social media. I'm saying that God's word gives us help for our anxiety and we need to obey what his word says and experience the freedom and peace and joy that comes from that. Second, get help. Get help. The first thing I would encourage you to do is to talk to someone about your anxiety. What you're going to find is a big old anxious family that you can belong to. As I've spoken up about my anxiety, I've had countless opportunities to help people with their anxiety. Speak up. Realize that you're not alone. Get spiritual help. First, admit that anxiety is stealing joy in your life. That anxiety is causing you to numb or distract yourself away from the anxiety or racing thoughts. Come up and talk to me after the service. Talk to a mature believer. Talk to a family member that's overcome anxiety. Talk to a staff member, a pastor, a biblical counselor to work through your anxiety. Talk to someone. God's word addresses this. And we need to address it in our own lives. So get spiritual help. You may also need to consider getting medical help. If you experience chronic racing of thoughts, shortness of breath, physical symptoms of anxiety, if anxiety is dominating your life or causing you to sin, if anxiety is something that is just a chronic part of your life, not based on the circumstances, I encourage you to talk to a medical professional. I did four years ago, and it was the beginning of a new life for me. For me, it was a change in some supplements and dietary things and ways I was treating my Lyme disease and going for biblical counseling. For you, it may include those things or medication, but go and talk to your doctor. Let them know how you're feeling. There is always a physical component to anxiety. Either it is feeding your anxiety or you are experiencing symptoms of the anxiety. Talk to someone. Get the help that you need. Third, rest in the good news. Rest in the good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. We can rest in the good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news for the anxious because the Lord is at hand. The Lord was there in the past when you suffered, when you sinned. The things you don't want to think about, God was there. For the anxieties that overwhelm you today, God is here. He is with you. And for anything you may be anxious about in the future, he will be there as well. And how do we know this? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, your past is forgiven. If you are in Christ, you have been redeemed from your past. You have a new family. You have a good heavenly father. The gospel is good news for today because, because of what Christ has done, he has sent your spirit, his spirit to live inside of you. 
He has sent the Prince of Peace to live inside of you. And today, Jesus is sitting on a throne where he rules and reigns. And he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And he proved it by sitting down because his work was finished. He rules, he reigns, and he sits on a throne. And you have good news for the future because someday Christ will return. And he will set up his rule and his reign right here on earth. And if we are in Christ, we will be at peace for all time. Rest in the good news of what he has done. All other foundations are sinking sand. All other news is bad news. All other things we can build our life on only feed our anxiety. It's only in Christ that we have good news for our anxiety. Lastly, help others as you receive help. Help others. Walk alongside people as they go through their anxiety. Instead of protecting our kids from anxiety, let's give them the tools to fight their own anxiety, to break the pattern of anxiety in our culture. Let's help others with the help that we have received. As we receive good news, we then extend that good news to others. And other people can look at our lives and say, how do they have a peace that surpasses understanding and surpasses the circumstances and the situation? We're going to close out this portion of the service by watching a video someone's testimony of what Christ has done in their life and how they have overcome their anxiety. I grew up in a pretty big family. I'm the youngest of six. I grew up in church. I was probably six or seven when I came to Christ, but wasn't until I moved to Iowa uh, and got plugged into a church here, Grace Church, that I really started to take my faith for myself and make it my own. So when I was 14-ish, maybe, I had a friend that was, like, suicidal, and she had called me on the phone one night and basically told me that she didn't want to live anymore, and I had never experienced something like that. I didn't really know what to do. And then I remember the next week at church, just, like, crying uncontrollably and just realizing that the love of God was for me and was for my friend, and knowing that that love was real. I'm originally from Minnesota. Uh, I moved to Iowa when I was 19. I remember my mom telling me that I needed to get plugged into a church. So when I first moved here, I got hired at a coffee shop. And one of the first weeks that I went to Grace North Liberty, uh, I didn't know anybody, and I sat down, and I saw a couple rows ahead of me, this girl that I worked with. Then I realized that the other girl that came and stood by her was my other coworker. So then they turned around and saw me, and then they came and sat by me. And then um, that just felt like the Lord had showed me, like, this is where I want you right now. I didn't know, actually, that she was a believer until that Sunday when I saw her at Grace. And after that, we started to have more personal conversations at work, just because we knew that we had that common thread. So a lot of our personal relationship did develop while we were working. All the time that I've known her, it's very clear that she's somebody that is looking for purpose. She was very clearly pursuing truth and very clearly pursuing that through Christ. 
and that was just really exciting to me to to have somebody that was also trying to do that so like from my perspective it was very much just a friendship with somebody that was endeavoring to be the same type of person that I was just a child of God somebody that was after God's heart in a sincere way. Hannah has been impactful to me in so many different ways just by virtue of being in the same workspace has been an overwhelming blessing. She's been a friend and a coworker and a mentor, I would say. She uh, connected me with another girl who had a different community group, started going to that community group. And that was the first time that I had met a group of people in their 20s, like college age, who really knew their Bible because they knew it was important and it was significant to them. And they were like on fire for the Lord and really knew scripture. And I was just totally like blown away by that and realized how much of the Bible I only knew because I had grown up in church and didn't actually know it for myself. So that really set me off on a journey of establishing my faith for myself. I remember Brooks saying a long time ago, your identity is in Christ. And that has just been like a really impactful thing to think that all of these things that we do and we strive for don't define us, but ultimately we are His and that identity is unshakable. And that has given me a lot of confidence in moments where I felt insecure. One thing that my mom one time wrote in a letter to me, she wrote, remember, you are the daughter of a king. And that sticks with me a lot too, just to think of the amount of provision and love and honor that is bestowed to a child of a king. One thing that I think is new in the last few years is that now she is very intentional to share her personal convictions because she's grown so much in just trusting the Lord and she values that relationship so much now that it's kind of second nature to her to be able to talk about him with other people in a really personal way and not talk about religion as like this abstract idea. Matthew 6 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I also am a pretty anxious person. I struggle against anxiety. One thing that has helped me with anxiety is just being able to talk about it pretty openly with people at church. So first of all, just knowing it's not uncommon and also being able to identify myself outside of just anxiety. I recognize that that is not something that I want to identify with. And so back to that, being able to identify with Christ and knowing that my identity rises above the anxiety that I struggle with. And that whole concept of in the busyness of life, really seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the rest will come. It seems easier said than done, but I almost love that overly simplistic statement by Jesus and just being able to take that at face value and say, okay, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to me.